Well, we are pleased to uh, welcome our college and GAP students from Honey Rock today to us. We're glad to have all of you folks with us today and uh, hope you have a, a great time of worshiping with us and sharing with us. We would like to invite you to a little reception following our Sunday school hour, which we're going to hold over in the library. And uh, we will have some folks from our church share with you some of the opportunities that we have here for you maybe to get involved in ministry, should the Lord lead you to do that. And so uh, we invite you to come and share with us after the Sunday school hour. During the Sunday school hour, uh, we invite you to come and stay with us for what we call cross-training, which will be a time when we can download some of the things that we talked about during the sermon. And so all of you are welcome to stay with us for that time. And uh, uh, we also have Sunday school for all ages. Uh, in between church and the Sunday school starting, we have coffee downstairs uh, for us to have a cup of coffee. So we invite all of you in our congregation to make a special effort to welcome our college and GAP students and our Vanguard students and uh, welcome them to uh, Three Lakes EFC and uh, wish them God's best in their year of ministry together up at Honey Rock. Please join with me in prayer as we begin our, our sermon for today. Now, Lord, we give to you ourselves and uh, look forward to how you're going to meet us through the word, which is alive and living. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide and direct us in our time of study. Please help me to be clear. Pray that you protect all of us from anything that is not from you, but that which is from you. I pray that you would use it, multiply it. May it take root in our hearts and grow and produce fruit for your honor and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the first year of training camp in the year 1961. And 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team arrived to a brand new season. And the season before uh, did not end very well. Uh, maybe some of you who might remember, but they were leading in the NFL championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Eagles had a rally at the end of the game, and they beat the Packers in the championship game. And so when the players came for the new season, they were expecting the coach to come up with new innovative plans, a new approach, things to happen for them that they could do that would uh, avoid that ever happening again. Uh, Author David McManus recounted it that day in his book called When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi. And here's what he said about that first day of training camp the year after they lost the championship game. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before he began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, this is a football. You know, with that statement, the legendary coach began the new season with a commitment to challenge his players. we got to get back to the basics. And so they worked that season on the basics. And that year, 1961, Packers again were in the championship game against the New York Giants. 
they won 37 to nothing. It worked. They got back to the basics. The message that we have in Revelation chapter 2 today, the church at Ephesus, is the same message. We, as the church, need to get back to the basics. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Revelation chapter 2. Make a couple of comments as we begin. First, you'll notice in this message, in this letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is speaking to them by using second person singular pronouns. You and your. You really can't tell what what uh, they're in in English. But in the original language, it's clear they're second person singular, which means that he is speaking to the whole church as a corporate group. Every commendation, every rebuke, every command is given to the local church as a whole. The whole church gets credit for the good things that are done among them. And the whole church is responsible for the things that they need to improve. And the whole church needs to get on board with the solutions that Jesus offers them. And he offers them this simple message. Get back to the basics. Like also to remind you in verse 1, Jesus reveals himself by using one of the names that he introduced in chapter 1. You remember last week we talked about Jesus. Is he Jesus or is he Jesus? Look at the name that he reveals himself to this church. The one who holds the seven stars. The one who walks among the golden lampstands. Now notice the reference to the word seven. The one who holds the seven stars. The one who holds and walks among the seven lampstands. This particular church needed to be reminded that they are not the one among the seven. They needed to be reminded that they are one of the seven. And this particular issue required them to admit that they might not be as special and mighty as they might think. So when Jesus, Jesus, reveals them and sends them a letter, he's bold enough to remind them that he has the authority to address them and to challenge them. And if they're wise, they will listen. And so to us, if we're wise, we will listen as well. But perhaps we're getting ahead of the text. So let's talk about some of the things that Jesus says in his message and three of the reasons that he outlines for us the importance of getting back to the basics. Number one, we need to avoid the subtle trap of one-dimensional ministry. Avoid the subtle trap of one-dimensional ministry. Let's read beginning with verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, 
They have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary. But I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. This church was one-dimensional. You know, it's not uncommon for churches to be one-dimensional. Most of you probably know the name of singer, songwriter, musician Matt Redman. Matt Redman writes wonderful worship songs. He's a very popular songwriter, and his songs are regularly uh, some of the most popular songs sung and listened to in contemporary Christian music. Well, Matt Redman was a worship leader in his home church in England. And he had a high-energy band. And you can imagine what the worship was like in this church. There was, there was much to celebrate in this church for their inspirational worship music. And every Sunday it was, it knocked it out of the park. It was awesome worship music. He tells his own testimony. He says, one day his pastor came to him and shared that the Lord was leading him to tell Matt Redmond that there was something wrong with the worship in his church. Were they really bringing a sacrifice of worship to God? Or were there people coming just to soak up the great music? So his pastor challenged him to step back from the production from the sound system, from the amplifiers, from the guitars, the very gifted, talented musicians who were leading, to step back. So the church entered into a season with no sound system, no musicians, no Matt Redman. And during that time, Matt Redman meditated before God, and God gave him the words to this song. When the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Jesus. I wanted to get back to the basics. Well, they didn't keep the sound system and the music band off the platform for long, but when they reintroduced, it was really different because they got back to what really mattered. They got back to basics. This is the message of the church at Ephesus from Jesus. Because he was telling them that you are one-dimensional church. You are a doctrine You are a discipline, you are a truth, you are a protection church, and I commend you for it. That's what Jesus says. They worked hard, they persevered during difficulties, and they protected the body from false teaching and corrupt leadership. Now, the Apostle Paul had been with this church in Ephesus, and he had a meeting with the elders in this church in Ephesus. And in chapter 20, verses 29 to 31, we have an excerpt of this meeting. 
And this is what Paul says to them. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to drive away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. And boy, this church took this message to heart. Every time there was a problem, every time there was a false teacher, every time there was a weakness in doctrine, every time they needed church discipline, this church was on it. But in verse 4, Jesus says, but you've got something wrong here. You're one-dimensional. You forgot to love. Doctrine without devotion. Protection from spiritual wolves with no love for the lambs of the church is a problem. That's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my my disciples. You can complete that sentence, right? He says, if you have love for one another. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if I speak the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all ministries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Look what Jesus said in verse 4. You have forsaken your love. It's not that they had cooled off a bit. (laughs) They abandoned it. All doctrine, all discipline, all protection, all purity. No love. Now, it might be countered. But Lord, we're doing this for you. We're doing this because we love you. And look at what John the Apostle wrote in his epistle. Anyone who loves God must love his brother and sister. Paul writes in his letters over and over talking about the family. Talking about the family. A local church is a loving family. How many times does he call the church members he writes to brothers and sisters? Paul related to the Thessalonian church as a nursing mother caring for her children. And as a loving father deals with his own children. One of the greatest doctrinal truths that we have, which this church obviously knew, was that We are adopted into God's family. That's a loving family trait. We are adopted. And the church is the bride of Christ. 
And if the church is the bride of Christ, that talks about marriage. And then that marriage is the bride of Christ. As we're in that bride of Christ, what do the bride of Christ do? They raise the children that Jesus has adopted into his family. And then, of course, Hebrews chapter 2, specifically, literally, verse 11, says that we are one family who Jesus calls brothers and sisters. Beloved, there is nothing more basic to the life of a local church than loving one another as a church family. Where there is warm fellowship, where we serve one another, where we bear one another's burdens, where we encourage one another. And you all know the statement, you can't choose your family. You, you, you can choose your friends. You can't choose your family. Here we are, folks. <laughs> this is us. We've got to learn to love each other. We've got to learn to be a family. Because Jesus says... You gotta get back to basics. And the basics of a local church is a loving church family. So that's the subtle trap that this congregation was falling into. They were one dimensional and they forgot to be a local church that's a loving family. Well, there's another thing that you can see in this message, and that is the never too late correction. Verse 3, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I kind of swallow hard when I hear this. I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Very interesting little paragraph there. In any family, including a church family, correction of wayward behavior is basic. It's basic. And so Jesus came to this church that boy, they were they were really doing everything right. They knew everything. They were they were the purity. They were, they were the strength of the churches in the area. And Jesus came to them and said, i got to correct you. And here's what he said. Three commands. First, remember. Remember. Consider how far you have fallen. You see, the beginning of correcting a problem is to remember that there is a problem. Because you can't accept a solution if you don't acknowledge that there's a problem. And so Jesus said, in order for you to remember, to, to recognize that you have a problem, I want you to remember, remember what it was like early in the days of your church. Now, Paul in this passage, nor in Ephesians, really outlines exactly what the church was like when they first came. He doesn't 
itemized their love and their family relationship. But he does talk in the, in the epistle of the Ephesians about family relationship and extended in chapters 5 and 6, he talks about family relationship. So evidently they started out well, but in this passage, he doesn't really uh, illuminate exactly what they, ha- what they fell from. All we know is that they fell and they fell far. And so Jesus says, I want you to remember, get together as a church family, get together as a body and talk about what it used to be like. Talk about the way that you used to be a family. Talk about your heritage. Gather together and and reflect on the way it used to be. And then we have the second command in this passage, and that's repent. Now, if you were with us over the summer, um, you know this word well. Remember, there are three parts to repentance. If we're on a track that God needs to correct, the first thing he does is he stops us. Okay? Well, that's what he did to this church. He confronted them, verse 4, you have forgotten your first love. And he says, now I want you to repent. I want you to turn. I want you to turn. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, present ourselves to God so that when we present ourselves to God, we can be empowered by the Spirit to do what he tells us to do. That's repentance. And you know, the second person, or the the second person's singular pronoun here, repent as a body. If there's something in this church that was gone wrong, gone astray, they needed to recognize it together and repent together. As a body, stop and turn and present yourselves to God. This brings us to the third step in repentance, and that this third command is recommit. Do the things you did at first. Now, this one is really, really important, so listen very carefully. This does not say do it the same way you used to do it. He says... Do the same thing again. And I would suggest to you that if they are wise, they'll find a way to do it so that it fits their present context and touches their present community today. Jesus is not telling local churches to go back and do what they used to do the same way. He says, local churches, reflect on your heritage Reflect on what made you a church family. Do the same thing again, but it's totally smart and up to date for you to do it in a way that's relevant to your present situation. But do the same thing. This principle of repentance. It's all over the Bible, isn't it? You're probably sick of me saying it. (laughs) But it's all over. And it even applies to local churches, as we're seeing here, as Jesus is telling this local church, turn, present yourself to God, and do what you used to do. Maybe not the same way, but do it again. Develop and nurture your church family. But now there's something that's very interesting in this text. Remember that Jesus began his message commending the Ephesian church, And then he confronted them. 
pretty pointedly, didn't it? I mean, he kind of came right there and he just kind of said, whoa. But now look what he does here in this text. Now he says in verse 6, he commends them again. For what? For doctrinal purity, for protecting themselves from the wolves, for correction, for discipline. He says, you hate the Nicolaitans, which I hate. And there's a lot of discussion of who the Nicolaitans are. Nobody really can definitively say who the Nicolaitans were. All we know is that they were false teachers and they had to be protected from them. And so Jesus says he commends them for that. You know what's interesting about that? He starts out and says, you've abandoned your first love, but I still commend you for what you're doing. What's interesting to me is that it's not either or. It's not either or. Um, I've noticed that churches sometimes fall into the pendulum effect. And here's what I mean by the pendulum effect. A church has something happen that causes them stress and difficulty and hardship. Or maybe a rebuke from the Lord. And so what the churches do then is if they're over here and they need to be corrected, they go all the way over here. And they do the total opposite. And they abandon everything they were doing in order to do the new thing. And that's the pendulum effect. That's the either or. I would suggest to you that local churches that are healthy do not do either or. They do both and. They do both and. It doesn't always mean totally abandon one and adopt another. It just means be not, don't, don't be one dimensional. Be a healthy local church. Keep on loving one another. In your, in, in your bulletin, there's a green insert, and this will be what we'll talk about on cross trainers if we get to it. Sometimes we don't always get to the insert of cross trainers, and that's okay. But today, I've got some things in here that help us to talk about both and. Present the offensive gospel message without being offensive. Both and. Divide truth from falsehood without being divisive. Both and defend the biblical perspective without being defensive. <laughs> Both and contend for the truth without being contentious. Both and do the hard stuff without being hard. You see, that's what churches do that are loving families that have not abandoned the love that they had at first. So Jesus gives them quite this instruction and he challenges them to nurture a healthy church family. But then we take a breath and read verse 5. If you don't, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Here's what John R. W. Stott, one of uh, the late John Stott says. Many churches all over the world today have ceased truly to exist. Their buildings remain intact. 
their ministers minister, and their congregations congregate. But the lampstand has been removed. The church is plunged in darkness. No glimmer of light radiates from it. Brothers and sisters, this doesn't have to be. It's never too late. (laughs) It's never too late for this Ephesian church. And so Jesus warns them of a subtle trap. He not only gives them a not-too-late correction, he gives them a promise of the once-protected fruit. Verse 7. Whoever has ears... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Remember the tree of life? How Adam and Eve were prevented from reading the tree of life because God went before them with swords? Because had they eaten the tree of life after they sinned, they would be immortal, they'd never die, and they could never be forgiven of their sins. So God protected them from it. But not so in eternity... Because if you read in chapter 21 of Revelation, the streets of gold are lined with the tree of life. Eat freely from the tree of life. What a promise. Something to look forward to. But then you ask a question. But I thought this was a message to the church as a whole. I thought this was a message to the corporate church. Well, I'd like to suggest you something. The answer is found in understanding the difference between the local church on earth and the universal church beyond life on earth. On earth, the local church is individual from another local church. We're a different church from the other evangelical free churches in our area. We're unique. We're different. We have our own personality. We have our own makeup. And so that makes us as a body different and unique. But you know what happens when we get to heaven? When we get to heaven, there are no more local churches. Everyone freely eats of the tree of life because we're all in one God's forever family. And when we're in God's forever family, there's no need for us to think corporately on earth anymore because we will be corporately in heaven. Well, I'd like to conclude by trying to make a practical application to this idea of being a church family on earth. And I'd like to look at the conclusions of a book written by Dan Kimball. And he wrote a terrific terrific book called They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. And he talks about young people in our culture today. And he interviewed them. He sat at a coffee shop and, and just interviewed every, every uh, young 20s, early 30s, late teen person that he could find. And he found six general categories of things that these young people thought about the church. I'll give them to you. One, They think the church is an organized religion with a political agenda. They think we're about politics. Well, my response to that is that Jesus told us to be salt and light in the world. 
which is our responsibility to seek to influence culture. Because Jesus said that. Second thing they think. They think the church is judgmental and negative. It's because we talk about this three-letter word called sin. And we talk about the seven deadly sins like we did last spring and summer. I mean, we spent a whole series talking about sin. Because if we don't realize there's a problem, you can't appreciate the solution. Third thing that they think. The church is dominated by males and oppresses females. Um, domination and oppression are abhorrent to God. Any church that would do this is not a good church. We here celebrate giftedness. That there is no difference between male and female, as Paul says in Galatians. We're no, there's no longer male and female. We encourage people to get involved in ministry according to their spiritual gifts. Other than elder and pastor, ministry is always only by spiritual giftedness. Here's a fourth thing they think. They think that the church is homophobic. And you know, really, this stems from an authority from God who says that he created human beings, male and female, and that we celebrate marriage between one man and one woman forever. Here's another thing they think. They think that the church arrogantly claims all other religions to be wrong. Well, you know, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is Jesus, <laughs> um, he can say whatever he wants to. <laughs> and he said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Here's a sixth thing that they think. They think the church is full of fundamentalists who take the whole Bible literally. And this appears to be a reference to legalists, Pharisees. People who point their bony finger at people. But you know, I wonder if the logical and biblical responses that I surveyed in response to these objections is going to relate to these young people. You think they'll be convinced by what I said? I mean, you know, preaching to the choir, we'll nod our head and say, yeah, you're right. But you think... These young people will be convinced by logic and doctrine and practice and discipline. What will influence them? How about if we become a loving church family? How about if we love them? How about if we welcome them into our midst? And let them say what they think. And create an environment where they're safe. How about if we model a healthy marriage? How about if we model a healthy, loving family? Maybe some of them have never had a healthy, loving family. Where else are they going to find it? (laughs) But at a local church where Jesus is present. You see, I don't think... Logic and doctrine, although I'm a logic and doctrine person. Some of those of you who know me know me, I am. 
that's not going to reach people who are asking these types of questions. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You better change your ways, is what Jesus said to the Ephesian church. Is there a lesson for us? Well, maybe. I think we need to listen. We need to consider. And I would suggest to you that the way for us to reach the young people of today is to be their church family. May God help us in our efforts to do that. Father in heaven, give us a vision for the heartfelt questions of those around us. Help us, Lord, to be those who speak the truth in love. Help us to be a church family. Help us, Lord, to be people that love each other so that everyone will know that we are your disciples by the way that we love one another. And being a loving church family, that's contagious. That reaches young people who are asking good questions. These are good questions. These are hard questions. But love covers a multitude of questions and creates the environment for us to meet one another's needs. So I pray that maybe we might take a look at ourselves as well and think about how we might be able to continue to grow and nurture a loving family here at Three Lakes EFC. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.